This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is available from Wednesday evenings through SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and the iHeartRadio website and app. Coming up on this week's program, we're going to be catching up with American April Lewis of the Seattle Grizzlies, who was signed to the Essendon VFLW program last year and is currently up in the Northern Territory playing for the Southern District's Crocs. Also on the way, we have got our cited question of the week. Coach Kiwi is back with her kiss of death. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. We begin with the results of round one of the AFL women's competition for 2020. And on a Friday night at Princess Park, Carlton, being the away side at home, defeated Richmond 6-12-48 to 2-2-14. Here's coach Daniel Harford speaking after the game, praising Richmond's toughness. Their physicality was phenomenal. Uh, early doors. It was a real challenge for us to get through, but pleasing them were able to withstand that and, um, and put a few things on the scoreboard. Unfortunately, it wasn't as many goals we'd have liked in the first term particularly, but uh, we owned the ball a bit and made it hard for them. In torrential rain, the GWS Giants beat the Gold Coast Suns in an ultra-low-scoring thriller. 1-3-9 to 1-2-8. His Giants coach, Alan McConnell. Yeah, it's good to get a result in round, round one, um, which is new for us. Um, uh, the girls have afforded me a lot of firsts in my career in the last couple of years, one of them being today, you know, winning the game and kicking one goal. It's sort of not ideal, but uh, we'll take it. In arguably the game of the round, Melbourne 3-4-22 defeated the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos 3-2-20. Here's Demons coach Mixton here. I probably underestimated how tough the conditions were. Uh, like at quarter time, North obviously had, they were stronger around the ball and hurt us at clearance and had the ball in their forward half a lot. But um, yeah, it was definitely a scoring end. It was good to see the girls get themselves back into the game. But um, as Dave said, they, they just kept improving every quarter. And that was the best thing about today. Like it was a, it was a good, tough battle. But um, yeah, I just really liked the way our girls just thought their way through it and were able to stand up late because yeah, it definitely could have gone either way. In what some are calling the upset of the round, the Brisbane Lions 5-4-34 knocked off the reigning Premier's Adelaide 3-3-21. Here's the Lions' Lauren Arnell. Yeah, eight debutants. It's almost half your side, isn't it? They were unreal, I think. They're spread all across the ground. And um, me in the forward line, you just look at Dakota Davidson, Bell Dawes, Greta Bodie with that soccer goal at the start of the game. Um, yeah, I could probably name all of them, but it wouldn't be fair. Um, they were unreal. We, The depth of contribution in our side today is probably what's most pleasing. I think every player played their role and, you know, obviously we're super underrated and there's a lot of conversation around that and I'm sure that will occur throughout the week as well. But for us internally, it's just about having a really even squad. I know it was hard for the coaches to select our team this week and I think that showed out there today that the level of competitiveness and the evenness across our group is really impressive. On Sunday at Victoria Park, Collingwood had a slow start before overcoming debutants the West Coast Eagles 5-8-38 to 1-5-11 is Magpies coach Steve Simons. Yeah, look, it's a nice to have a, have a good start. Um, first quarter, we were a bit um, looked a bit nervous and uh, didn't really think our way through a few situations. But um, as the game steadied at quarter time onwards, uh, we steadied the game quite nicely and started to get our game up and going and our pressure game started to come in. And um, look, we're pretty really pleased with the result in the end. 
The Western Bulldogs were party poopers for the Saints' debut at Moorabbin. The Doggies 6-3-39, defeating the home team 2-2-14. Here's Bulldogs debutante Gemma Lagoya. All the draftees and like the three of us who played and Katie and Danny, like we all felt the same thing, so it felt good to know that there were people who had the same nerves as me and the same excitement. We just got around each other and it was really good. And over in the West, Fremantle, 6-8-44, accounted uh, for Geelong, 4-4-28. That leads us into some injury news. First of all, for the West Coast Eagles, they've lost uh, defender Ashton Hill to an ACL. Another victim of an ACL injury was St Kilda's uh, Nadia Van Bertic. And Fremantle defender... Stephanie Kane also tore her ACL. Uh, speaking on that, here's Fremantle AFLW High Performance Manager in Karen Star. It's heartbreaking. It's always devastating to have a, an injury to that extent and to have another ACL is a real blow for us. And to be honest, it's a real blow for AFLW. Um, we continue to see this happening, whether it's our team or other teams. It's really a devastating injury and, um, yeah, just really sad and disappointed for Kano. And good news for the Magpies, their star recruit, Bree Davey, who came off the ground in some quite discomfort on Sunday, has been cleared of any serious injury. Uh, at worst, some minor soft tissue damage. She'll face a test ahead of this weekend's possible clash against Carlton. With the match review, officer, three have been reprimanded for rough conduct in round one. Gold Coast ruck Lauren Bella, Hannah Scott of the Western Bulldogs and St Kilda's Tilly Lucas-Rod. With the NAB Rising Star nominees for round one, are Carlton's Lucy McAvoy and the Saints' Georgia Patrikios. And in news from last week, just after we concluded production, uh, Debbie Lee became the third woman in history to receive AFL Life Membership. Turning our attention overseas to England, where the Fitzpatrick Cup was played on the weekend between universities of the United Kingdom and Ireland. It was a clean sweep for Ireland's UCC Crusaders, easily defeating uh, Oxford, Cambridge and the University of Birmingham. 3-0 they came away from that tournament with the trophy. And to AFL New Zealand where round one of the AFL New Zealand Women's Premiership was played over the weekend at North Harbour Stadium with the Magpies 9-6-60 defeating the Bulldogs 3-1-19. That's your latest women's footy news. And now to our feature guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We last spoke with her back in September 2018, which was partaking in the Crosscoders camp in Melbourne in an effort to score a rookie contract with an AFLW club. She would be unsuccessful, but her footy dreams wouldn't stop there. She would fly back to Melbourne, try out with several VFLW clubs, and then relocate here to Australia in 2019 and sign a contract with Essendon in the VFLW. However, 2019 would turn out to be a year of an emotional roller coaster with injury and a death in the family. Somehow, though, she's pulled it all together in 2020, and things are looking on the up in all places. Darwin, it's our privilege to have on the line Seattle Grizzlies footballer, April Lewis. April, how are you? Very well. How are you, Peter? Good to be speaking with uh, you again. First of all, how's the uh, humidity up there in Darwin? Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really good. Teaching me uh, lessons in hydration. I've really, really got to take it seriously up here. Now, before we jump into all things about you, I need to ask you, because you are an American woman playing Aussie rules, 
what does it mean to you to see another American woman making her debut in the AFLW, as we saw this weekend pass with Danielle Marshall? It was absolutely fantastic to watch. Huge congratulations to Danny. Uh, couldn't have asked for a better debut. Uh, first kick, first goal. It's just fantastic, and it's it's a huge weekend for the U.S. Um, and more and more familiar faces in Melbourne and in Darwin. It's it's really good for the growth of our game overseas. Now, before we talk about uh, you currently playing at the moment for the uh, Southern District's Crocodiles up there in the NTFL Women's Premier League, we need to rewind back a bit. We last spoke to you in 2018 at the Crosscoders camp. At that stage, we discovered how you found playing Aussie rules at a gym and uh, you uh, won the uh, best on ground at numerous tournaments uh, throughout the USA, particularly the Western Regional Tournaments. Let's let's go to that Crosscoders program. You just completed it, uh, including playing a scratch match against um, a uh, Victorian side. What were your thoughts at this stage of where your career was going to go next? Uh, it was really, um, really exciting and overwhelming, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because I was dream- dreaming big and being over here playing in that match, I knew I needed to come back to Australia to see how far I could push myself. And obviously the goal was to take my football to the highest level and, you know, play as competitively as possible. Um, because the, the quality of the game in Australia is um, dramatically different than what it is in the U.S., uh, from playing in that scratch match, and you played obviously with a number of Irish women, the Irish women dominated that crossgoaders camp. Were you surprised yourself at the speed of the game, particularly compared to a, a slower-moving USAFL? Uh, yeah, I mean, the speed was different. The, the Irish girls certainly bring their own flair because the Gaelic background is a little bit different. Um, so adjusting to how they were moving on the ground was... Uh, yeah, definitely something I hadn't seen before, but definitely gave me an idea of where I wanted to go. You know, it, it sort of gave me a parameter to see what the competition and, and what the girls were like out here. So to see myself and where I stacked up against them um, was eye-opening, but exciting at the same time. The next place you went to was back to the United States because you had just a a few weeks later on the cards, the USAFL Nationals played in very different conditions to Darwin uh, in Racine, Wisconsin, (laughs) where it's about two degrees Celsius. Can you talk us through Uh, this tournament? This is the second ever tournament for the Seattle Grizzlies as a standalone team. um, Yeah, it was, so, you know, 2017, we went for the first year as a team and, finished fifth in the highest um, highest division, so or Div, Div 1 for women, and that was a huge achievement just going there the first year as a full team. So that was huge for the U.S. Is when I joined the team at the beginning of 2017, I know I told you there were only about three or four girls on it. So by October to have, um, you know, 21 girls on the list and to have 16 on the field, that was major for us. So 2018, when we went in, um, 
you know, obviously we, we wanted to finish higher than fifth to, to show the competition that we're growing and Seattle's here to stay and we're going to be a force. So when we were in Racine, uh, energy was really good. People were excited to be there. Um, a little harder for Seattle to travel, so we didn't have quite as many girls make the trip. Um, but yeah, really, really good vibes and good energy, and um, you know, tough loss to San Fran on the first day. But I think we redeemed ourselves Sunday morning when we played Denver, and that gave us momentum into the grand final, which is a huge achievement just to go um, for a second year team. You were playing, as you mentioned, short-handed in that tournament. Um, a couple of players less than all the other squads. What did it mean to you that moment, the final Hooter went at the end of the semi-final to knock off the Denver Bulldogs, who had been in six, seven, uh, you know, grand finals in a row? We know we hadn't had a grand final in 2016, but they essentially played in the big game against San Francisco to knock off the team that was always seen as either, if not the title holders, the big threat to take out the title. Oh, absolutely. And Denver are always fierce competitors. Um, that was huge for us and really gave us momentum, but it was a hard fought game. Um, that game we had 17 people uh, and by the, we finished and we were down to 15. So a few in- injuries in that semifinal game, um, which caused us to have to play down, down a player in the grand final, but just, you know, we were re- really willing to gut it out Um and yeah, as it just we had some. I really value our captain and her leadership. And like I said, the energy is what carried us through. So, and which you made the grand final. Unfortunately, we'd not score because you were shorthanded against San Francisco. It, uh, go on to win the title. But nonetheless, what did it mean for the Seattle Grizzlies women's program to make it that far in just your second year as a team to the grand final and obviously also be shown on ESPN3? Yeah, like, what, what can I say more than it was It was huge? Um, it, was a, it was a really emotional year because in the U.S., we don't have a, a proper season. You know, you, you put in all the work, the same amount of training from April to October, essentially, and we really don't have the opportunity to play 16 until October. So to see everything come together, to see the skills, to see where the team was truly at when everyone was on the field at the same time is a huge accomplishment. And to just everyone wanted to be there and everyone wanted to work hard for each other. And we lost and that was, it's, it's tough tough to lose a grand final but um i think what it meant for the seattle women's club is we're we are a real team this is the second year in a row we had been um you know force and we're going to continue showing up in the future and the people that are around the club are around the club to stay for a long time and that's exactly what you want when you're trying to grow the game so you i mean I'm just proud of our attrition and the people that keep showing up to play and that want to be there and that love the sport as much as I do.
When did you make the decision to come back down to Melbourne to trial with the VFLW clubs? Um, so I knew I was going to come. <laughs> I'd already planned the trip back out, uh, you know, essentially when I was on the plane back home. Um, I knew I needed to fly back home for the Nationals tournament. But some of the advice I got from coaches before I left is, you know, and part of the cross-coders program was, you know, if, if you're not drafted, um, what are your future plans and where do you want to take your footy? Because we want to help you get, get there. And so this, um, I knew, you know, regardless of what happened, um, I was going to come back to Australia. And so obviously, you know, I waited October was um, a little nerve-wracking. I wasn't drafted, but I decided I needed to come uh, play at the highest level. So I came back and did trials for five or six of the different VFL clubs uh, throughout the month of November, and then took it from there. We know, of course, one of the clubs that you trialled at was Hawthorne before you eventually got round to um, Essendon. What did you learn from that trialling experience? Uh, that Yeah, that was my first official trial day, and that was um, something in itself because I think about 100 people showed up to the training ground that day, and I guess I didn't know what to expect um, in terms of whether it was going to be skills-based, fitness-based, testing, like, um, you know, at the cross-coders camp, we did a lot of the combine testing. Um, so I guess I didn't really know what to expect in terms of the TID day, but, you know, I was still there and wanted to, you know, whatever's asked of me, I want to challenge myself to push to those limits. And they were really efficient in their skills testing. We also ran a yo-yo, did some of the same testing that I'd done in September. So at least I was familiar with the procedure in that regard. And, um, you know, after having run multiple yo-yos, there's sort of a strategy in that and how I could improve. So um, I think out of the Hawthorne TID day, I was about a level higher than I had been previously, which was great for me. Um, But yeah, that was just a a different avenue to show me what the world of football was about in Victoria. And um, it really is the real deal. So it was eye-opening in a lot of regards. So talk about the road coming to Essendon and their talent identification day and to the eventual call from uh, Brendan Major that you'd made the cut. Yeah, so initially I just had preseason invitation to train with a few clubs and I decided uh, to do the majority of my training with Essendon and it wasn't until mid-March of last year that I actually signed with the club Um, and that was after, you know, eight weeks of testing and skills and meeting with coaches and uh that was that was a really big day (laughs) it was 
um, to be listed in the in the VFL straight from America is is a big deal, and I was couldn't have been more excited. Um, <laughs> you know. Now, fair to say, you're not actually the only North American at the Essendon VFL uh, side. Obviously, Kendra Heil is there as well, a Canadian. <laughs> yes. Really good teammate. Um, awesome to have around the club. Always really good energy. And, yeah, I think uh, having the Canadian influence uh, helps a little bit with the homesickness. <laughs> So let's talk about how they were trying to make you as a footballer at Essendon. We we know that when you were playing in the USAFL, you were playing as a ruck. And as we stated on a few occasions, here in Victoria, you'd be seen as an undersized ruck. But um, you ended up being moved forward, um, at least for a pre-season. Can you talk about that transition of them trying to develop you as a forward player rather than a ruck? Yeah, that was... Um uh, like obviously change of position is always going to have um, <laughs> a learning curve. Uh, but I was, you know, when I, when I initially went out, I wanted to, like I had no experience as a forward and in the interest of um, taking my football to a higher level, I wanted to try new positions and to challenge myself. And so Moving into the forward line, I thought it was a really good idea. Um, and that's where I trained uh, the entire season. Um, and the, the skills and uh, fundamentals are all the same, but just the football sense and learning the specifics and the body positioning and the um, just the different things that you don't think about when you're, I guess, necessarily in the rup contest, um, you know, your singular focus is eyes on the ball. And, you know, if you can tap it directionally, that's awesome. Um, there's so many more things to focus on. So it was new, but uh, I'd like to think I was soaking everything up like a sponge and just trying to take in as much information as possible. Um and really try and refine some of the forward Minecraft. During your time at Essendon, you get aligned with a community club. That happens for all players, just in case they're not selected in the main squad. They'll play with a team back in the respective uh, suburban or amateur competitions. Um, how did you end up getting aligned with West Brunswick? Um, yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> um, I think it just ended up being a connection through Mage. Um, it wasn't until, I'd say, two nights before selection for round one when I was told uh, you're, you're actually not going to be listed for round one. Um, and I hadn't yet found a community club because I... Uh, I was under the <laughs> I was under the impression I was going to be listed for round one, so it was kind of a last minute decision, and I didn't have the contacts. Um, so I think Mage reached out to the West Brunswick coach because they had a connection from previous club, and I ended up at West Brunswick. 
And the West Brunswick Magpies also had Colleen Decay there, who, of course, you went through the Crosscoders camp with. Uh, you play a handful of games there, including the second game, if I'm correct, for West Brunswick. is against Melbourne University at uh, Main Oval at Melbourne University, where I believe you came off the ground with concussion. Do you recall anything of that day? Yeah, um, playing with Colleen was awesome. It was really good initially to have a familiar face around the club and someone I'd played with before because, as I said, it was a last-minute decision to go down to West Brunswick. And, um, yeah, the, the second game I played for them was against Melbourne Uni and really early on in the second quarter, I copped a big hit and... I had an injury to my neck, uh, so that took me out for the next four to five weeks, and I was following concussion protocol for return to play. How difficult is that when, and it's, it could be any injury, whether it be knee, hamstring, whatever, when you're told you're just getting ready for the start of the season, you're one or two games in, and now you've got to sit down for essentially a month, month and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's tough, um, especially because, you know, it, it wasn't fitness-related. My soft tissue felt really good. Um, but a sprained neck is a really interesting, <laughs> really interesting thing. You know, it's, um, there was damage to the ligaments, and you, you've got to do the same same as you would take care of any other body part, you've got to re-strengthen and rehab until you can be back on the field. And even though I felt fine, it was, you know, the injury process can be really daunting. It can be isolating because you you don't get to train with the team or that, um, you know, you don't get to do the contact and on-field stuff. So that was definitely uh speed bump in my journey uh, but not something I couldn't recover from You do manage to run out for Essendon VFLW for an invitational game against the GWS Giants. Can you talk about that experience playing that game at Tullamarine up against a essentially AFLW loaded side? Yeah, um, it, that was a really great game to be a part of, to finally pull on the Essendon jumper. Like, that in itself, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of pride and a lot of history with that club because they've been around 150 years. So just taking in the moment and realizing I was playing for Essendon was huge. And um, let alone getting to play, yeah, some of the – majority of the girls that play in the AFLW and to see, you know, where you stack up. And I think that game was a huge learning opportunity for me. I definitely didn't get as much of the ball as I would have liked. Um, And, you know, not as much of the ball as I'm used to. Just, again, the position switch. Um, There's definitely a learning curve in that. But I think it was a really competitive game and I really enjoyed the opportunity. 
Uh, the, the one thing I noted from that game when I was calling was obviously the ball was struggling to get down to your forward line uh, that often, uh, simply because of how good the GWS side was. But you seem to be a bit more comfortable when for a little while you're actually thrown in the ruck and you seem to be a bit more at home when you're around the ball and in the engine room. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a position I'm much more comfortable with because that's, you know, where I learned to play football. Um, but it's, you know, we, we can go back and look at that game and see, you know, it's it's really easy to say, oh, well, you, you know, you didn't get the ball because it didn't get into the forward 50, but... Um, Chalk it, it it was a really strong um, GWS team, and um, I I don't only want to be able to play in the rock. I want to be able to play in a variety of positions and and be that utility player that you know. Certainly, I may be small for a rock, but I can do other things. Um, but just a just a really good learning opportunity because that was my first taste at that level. Before, so. before we go into the rest of 2019 on the playing side, we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to quickly go to off-field matters for a moment. Um, while you were down in Melbourne, you were actually holding a daytime role, as you called it, on the SheWear website, where you were obviously a SheWear brand ambassador. But you were working as a bioinformatician at Melbourne University. Can you explain what a bioinformatician is? <laughs> yeah, so um, essentially my it's, it's a combination of software development and biology. And in the States, that's, uh, <laughs> that's my actual career and job title, and I do a lot of work in cancer research. And at Melbourne Uni, I was working in the computer science department as a research fellow. So the day job's quite different than the football, but um, I like to be able to have a little bit of both worlds. (laughs) What led you down to the world of STEM, considering I think you went to do studying at um, University of Texas, El Paso, and also at New Mexico State? Yeah, well, my... uh, my undergraduate experience at New Mexico State, I was I was there on an athletic scholarship to run cross country and track and field, and I also studied biology. Um, and after I graduated in the U.S., you can't really do much with a, only a four year degree in biology, so I had to specialize. And then I. Uh, started a master's at University of Texas, El Paso, where I studied bioinformatics. Um, so I I'm, was working in my field of study, and it's what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was really lucky to find a job in my field that I could, you know, support the hobby, I guess, of, of playing football at the same time. So I I know a lot of people aren't as lucky to uh, find a job straight away when they move to the other side of the world. (laughs) You know, my only plans when I initially moved out here were to play football, and I sorted everything else out uh, sort of after the fact. (laughs) 
Also, while you were out here, obviously you were, as I said, a SheWear ambassador, which you can probably tell us a little bit about that. And also you were doing some work with Footies for All. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in coming out here, I, you know, trying to make these opportunities, um, you know, related, where related to football and related to women and just um, there's a group I'm part of in Melbourne that's called Women Who Get It. It's led by a phenomenal and influential uh, woman in leadership in Melbourne. And she she actually barracks for Williamstown. So she was disappointed I was uh, playing with Essendon. But um, just, you know, something I believe in progressing women and women in sports and women in science because they're underrepresented. And that's just something I'm passionate about. Um, Regardless of what country it's in, it's, you know, and so as a brand ambassador for SheWear, I just, Attended attended events for the company. They're a women-owned and operated um, company that designs workwear in Australia for women. And what initially led me to that organization, I guess, is <laughs> when I moved to Australia with my two duffel bags, um, I didn't bring a lot with me. And I was looking for shoes that fit that were comfortable. So I was having some arch support problems, <laughs> which uh, just, you know, from extended periods of time in my football boots and I needed good quality shoes. And they were a company that actually provided big enough sizes for, <laughs> for women's feet. So kind of stumble upon, but really, really great company, really important message that, um, and really, really good program to be a part of. Safe to say it was a roller coaster of emotions for the last half of 2019? Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> when I reflect, um, my my one year in Australia, which happened uh, about uh, three weeks ago, the year didn't really go as planned. <laughs> and there there are a lot of things that were going on in in football and in my personal life, and there were uh, highs and lows as you would normally expect. Um, but you know, initially when I came out to Australia, I set the goal like I want to play football at the highest level Um, and in reflection I didn't attack the goal the way I wanted to Um, and I didn't really realize it while I was going through it it took it took some time so you know between January and and September when I was majority of the time in Australia um, it was really a roller coaster but I 
left Australia for about eight weeks, September and October. And when I was back in the U.S., um, I really had to sit down and question, sort of reevaluate. What am I doing? Why did I go there? What do I really want out of this? Because, you know, the first year didn't didn't go as planned. Um, and that's, there, there were a lot of things going on. Um, you know, I, <laughs> sorry, I don't, I don't know how much you want me to say. I might be emotional, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's it. And, 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 you know, we, we want to hear from your, from your honest thoughts, because obviously there was some family matters you had to attend to back home. And I mean, footy, in context, uh, you know, means you know it doesn't mean that great deal compared to to family matters, um, but it did have an effect in a way where you d- actually didn't play enough games for West Brunswick to qualify to play finals because obviously you had those important family matters back home. Um, a, I, I'm guessing that must have been frustrating, and it kind of bled in a bit to your USAFL Nationals campaign. Um, uh, in October in uh, a very hot Sarasota, Florida. Yeah, you know, um, I just, like I said, I, I couldn't attack the goals that I'd set out the way I wanted to. I didn't realize how important my mental health was going to be um, and taking just taking time, you know, I was doing the football and I was doing the training and I was spending, you know, I had had the injuries and, you know, the season was interrupted because I had some emergency flights home. And so, you know, there were, there were things that definitely, there were, there were definitely obstacles. Um, but, you know, when I, I went back in September and I was, when I got back to Seattle, I was, I was really disappointed. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of just forgot about football because I, I was dealing with um, death of my father. And after I was, you know, just spending some time with my family and dealing with the personal issues, um, that was sort of a turning point for me because I, you know, leading, even leading into nationals, I still really wasn't in the right mindset where I was going to be focused and excited about football. Um, and so it did, it did bleed over into my nationals campaign and I didn't perform the way I wanted to. And uh, yeah, you're right. I, I wasn't eligible to play in finals anywhere, you know, on any team in Australia just because of, you know, injury and, um, you know, looking, looking back, um, cause now I'm a little bit further removed. I'm not sure I would have had good, good performance or finals campaign because I wasn't mentally there. Um, and, I, you know, it, it, it just took some grit to, to sit down and um, ask myself what I actually wanted and what are the things that are important. And 
you know, I'm really glad I made the life decision to prioritize my family because I needed to do that. Um, but yeah, when I decided to come up to Darwin end of October, I knew, you know, this needed to be a fresh start. It needed to be, I had to find a way to clear my head to refocus on the football and to actually get back to my initial goals. So it's a lot of, a lot of obstacles over the course of the past year. It didn't go as planned, but I think, um, I think I'm taking the steps and prioritizing all of the little things that you take for granted sometimes. Um, like I said, uh, the hydration, that's something that's been wildly important, but it's something really small that if you just work on that every day, you can put your body in the position to be successful. And I think doing the little things is what's helping me get back to where I want to be. Don't go anywhere. We've got more of our interview with Seattle Grizzlies footballer April Lewis coming up after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're currently chatting with Seattle Grizzlies footballer April Lewis. You mentioned Darwin, uh, where you're at at the moment. You're the first American woman to be in Darwin. Of course, Jess Blecker was there for a couple of seasons at Nightcliff, and ironically, you now have uh, an American opponent which we'll talk about in a moment, Rosie Clough, that was <laughs> playing at Nightcliff. Um, how did the idea come to be that you were going to spend uh, the Australian summer uh, playing in the Northern Territory? Yeah, well... Um... Like you said, I missed out on some final campaigns and I just didn't get get enough games in Victoria. And um, I really, you know, I, I sat down with my mentor and I sat down with my coaches in Seattle and I, you know, it Darwin made sense. They have a full football season. They have 18 rounds. I said, if I can go up there and, and string together a consistent, consistent football, I can get back to the place that, one, I know I'm capable, um, and, and two, to get that confidence back in, in playing football and in, in feeling good and having fun while I'm playing football. So... <clears throat> I think initially I came up with the idea in, in July and um, it was always something something in the plans if I were to come back, to come back and play in the NTFL. Um, but it was, like I said, it was a really good turning point. And one of my teammates in the Seattle club actually grew up in Darwin 
and was the physio for the Crocs for a very long time. So finding a team up here was a no-brainer. Um, I reached out and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested. This is my background, and they've the Crocs have taken me in like their family, like one of their own, and um, I'm remembering all of the things that I love about football. So it's, like I said, Darwin's been really fantastic. Um, it was also, you know, more than just the football, I was going to extend my visa by working up in Darwin. Um, so that was something else that, uh, why Darwin was calling, I guess you could say. <laughs> so we should actually ask the question before we go back to on-field matters of, um, A, how you adjusting to the Darwin lifestyle, obviously besides hydration and, and the, the heat. It's a very different city compared to Melbourne. It's almost a, a small regional town. And uh, what do you find yourself during doing during the days when you're not playing football? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, your Darwin is very different. Um, but like you said, it, it does remind me of Las Cruces and, and my uni days quite a bit. It's a smaller town. It's a country town. It's a, it's a football town. And, um, you know, I play at one of the most rural clubs in Darwin. So it's, it's quite a drive for me to get out to the Oval, but it's, I think, it's the, I don't know, the, the people here are very inviting. Um, you know, I, I found myself, initially I was going to do some house sitting, and when I started house sitting, um, I've ended up having a host family that's taken me in. Uh and just treating me as their own daughter and making sure I'm well-fed after training and making sure I have a fan club at all of my games. And that's just been absolutely fantastic. And I think that's part of the culture and lifestyle up here. And it just, um, it's, it's amazing the community up here and well, in my <laughs> when I'm not playing football or training, I have been working on a farm because, like I said, I was um, coming up here trying to extend my working holiday visa. Um, long story short, that didn't go as planned. And <laughs> a few weeks ago, I had to leave the country, get a temporary visa, come back in. But that's allowed me to now start my application for permanent residency. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> that is Darwin. Darwin's been really good for me. <laughs> that that is big news. You're looking to become a, a permanent resident here in Australia. Yeah, I'm, it'll it will be a long process, but um, to to get all the paperwork started and um, it's it feels really good. It feels like I uh, am dictating the path and um that's only going to make the football um come a little bit easier because with the work and holiday visa there are a lot of 
a lot of obstacles. <laughs> so, um, although I've been working on a farm and doing the stereotypical work and holiday requirements, um, yeah, so I, I think it's been really good for me. It's been, uh, I've been getting sun and uh, the farm work helps with my fitness. <laughs> <laughs> And let's talk about playing for the Southern District's Crocs. They've been doing well, currently sitting third at the moment on the NTFL Women's uh, Premier League uh, ladder. Um, I, I looked through the uh, best on ground and goals, and you seem to have started to really hit your form come the new year through January, in which uh, you've kicked at least uh, six goals in this uh, uh, past month. Um, were you always playing up at forward at Southern Crocs, or have they thrown you around a bit in the, uh, in the makeup of the team? Yeah, actually, when I first came into it, I think I spent about the first five or six games at center half back. <laughs> so I was I was in the defensive line quite a bit. Um, but as I said, the the more diversity of position, the, the more I can develop the skills in my toolbox. So very happy to just be accepted and to, like I said, get get the game time and put together consistent performance every Saturday. That's sort of what I was looking for when I came up here. And, um, yeah, the beginning of the new year, uh, coach said, hey, I want to try something new. What do you think about moving back into the forward line? And I said, yeah, let's try it. And I've um, really found found my groove. And I think that is <laughs> where I'm more – natural now and um you know obviously i still have hopped into the ruck a few times and taken a tap here or there but uh it's it's really we're finding um i mean it, it was it was a brand new team coming up here at the end of october and fitting into a brand new team and learning how everybody plays is um always going to be a challenge but I think the Crocs are really starting to find their form and the energy this past weekend was so good and just vibes were up, intensity was up and everyone was on the same page in terms of where we are and where we want to go and how we want to approach this final series. So I think even, even sitting third on the ladder, it's a, really good position for us but I'm like I said personally really finding my form and enjoying playing with this group <laughs> how different in your mind is the NT style of football to the Victorian style of football um it it's it is a different style of play um to me, it's it's quicker. There's um, a lot of a lot of play on, a lot of run and carry, and I, you know, it's um, a lot of really good quality ball movement. And I think even I was surprised by the level of competition up here. But you you have some guns in the NCFL and. To see how you stack up against them is always a good measure. So um, it's different, but I'm learning and 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've really just been enjoying my time up here, regaining the confidence and, um, you know, really enjoying getting more, more of the football in my hands. Talking through some of those gun players you've got at the Southern Districts who've played in the past for the NT Thunder and one or two for the Crows. Uh, I go through the side. You've got Charlie Deegan in there. Um, another name I spot is Letitia Jeffrey. Uh, throwing there Taylor Thorne as well. Samantha Hooganveen Hill. So they're no slouches, the team. You've got Rhiannon Bush as well. You've got some quality players there at the Crocs. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's... You can you can pick their brains. You've got really good on-field leadership. You've got, you know, really quality, skillful players. Um, you know, even Mattia Breed, Ebony Miller, who's looking to be the leading goal kicker in the league. You've got some real guns, and it's, um, it's really a pleasure to be able to learn from them and and play off of them and see, see the kinds of things they do to make them successful and and you know they, they, the Crocs are a team that, that celebrates the small things. You know, they're, they're you make a tackle, they're the ones pulling you up. You, um, it, it's just such a good team environment, and everybody's got your back. And it's yeah, if I if I have the opportunity to play with and against some of the best, it's. The pleasure's all mine. <laughs> the weekend just gone. Southern District 7-10-52 defeated the Nightcliff Tigers, who had had a run of good form, just the four behinds. You kicked a goal in that game. How good did it feel to not only kick a goal, but get one up on fellow American Sacramento Suns footballer Rosie Clough, who was playing for the Tigers? <laughs> uh, well... Uh, I think there might be an error on the scoreboard because I think mine was touched through. But... <laughs> claim it. It's in paper. Uh, Just claim it. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But <laughs> I know who did I know who did kick the missing goal, so I don't want to take credit for her. But um, had some really good opportunities. And um, this was a... This was a... Going into this game was a really big week for the Crocs because... Uh, we knew it was going to set the tone for our finals campaign. And instead of, instead of doing the really hard training session, we normally have planned for Tuesday. We just did a team meeting, revisiting the goal setting, revisiting what team means to everyone and just getting around one another. And I think working on the mental side of things and to specifically have a coach that sits down with the whole team that works on the mental side of football, it put us in a fantastic opportunity on the weekend and to, to play for one another. And I think um, vibes, vibes are up. Everyone's really excited for the finals campaign and looking to see how far we can take it. After the final series is uh, done and dusted, what are the plans for coming back to Melbourne? Yeah, so I've been back and forth a few times and I'll actually officially move all of my things down over this next weekend. Um, So I will (laughs) will be back and forth for the next few weekends because, like I said, this 
I'm invested in the Crocs and this team and this final series, and I want to see that through. But I am also very aware of um, what, I've, what I've got going on in Melbourne. And like I said, the, the goal hasn't changed. I want to take my football to the highest level. And that means going back down to Melbourne and following the football and um, – I will be back down there permanently soon. <laughs> it, will it be straight into Essendon VFLW or are the options opening and obviously you're looking and, and talking with others? Yeah, at, at this point, um, I haven't signed with anyone yet. Uh, and I, it will probably not be with Essendon Football Club. However, um, I am continuing Continuing where I left off, and, you know, as I said, I, I didn't have the season I anticipated, but some of those obstacles that I had to get over my first year, they they don't exist anymore, and I am ready to go back down to Melbourne and sort of attack that goal head on. Uh, and I think I'm, I've got a lot of really good momentum coming off this NTFL season, but... I really just want to focus on one thing and one day at a time. And, you know, even if I'm doing everything right when it comes to my football, you know, the training, the mindset, fitness, um, I've still got to be set up and know that failure could happen. Um, But I think if I put everything I've got into this and I know I could still fail, um, that's that's sort of what I need to have in order to see that success. Two final questions. Do, it, do everything possible. Um, I know it could still go either way and be okay with that. And then go from there. Two final questions before we let you go. Um, first of all, related to things up in Darwin, um, what would it mean to you if the Crocs were to capitalise on this form, go all the way and take home the NTFL Women's Premier League Premiership? <sighs> you know, like, I've never I've never won a Premiership before. I've never never won a flag. So that that would be, um, you know, you'll always treasure your first, first time there. But uh, I just, I know the team needs to take one game at a time our approach to uh, each of the teams in the final series is going to be a little bit different. Um, But I would just, I would be absolutely floored. Like, I I feel like I have second and third family up in Darwin and, and I just absolutely love this club and um, whatever happens, I know it's going to be, a successful year and I, I can't thank the Crocs enough for how they've helped me get back to my football and that's invaluable so it's already been a successful year whether or not we win a flag and how that campaign goes um, I truly value this season and it holds a holds a very near and dear place in my heart and the final question, it's a big hypothetical, but uh, should 
Danny Marshall continue to go on and have a good season and uh, that opens up the eyes of other recruiters to say, actually, hey, we should be looking at American women as well, just like we're looking at Irish women to play in the AFLW. And uh, should someone give you the tap on the shoulder one day to say, we would like to give you an AFLW contract, what would it mean to you if one day you're able to type in a computer and it, it would show up April Lewis, AFLW footballer? Um, like I said the the goal has always been to take my football to the highest level and that that absolutely is the highest level and Danny Marshall is a huge example of um, you know that's she's clearing clearing her own path and um, she's She's cracked into the AFLW, which is huge for the USAFL, and I hope that, you know, creates other pathways because we do have some guns in the U.S. as well. And if someone gave me the opportunity, I would just, you know, be absolutely floored. That's what we're all working toward. Like, (laughs) it, it only takes one coach, one list manager, right? And, um, yeah, I'm just going to keep knocking at the door and, and we'll see we'll see where it goes. Well, April, thank you very much for being so generous with your time. Well done on what you've achieved so far up in Darwin. We know you're going to have a better year back down here in Melbourne. We look forward to seeing you and thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Now on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, it's time for our newest segment. Cider.co. You got any more questions? Question of the week. A few days ago, Cricket Australia celebrated their latest Hall of Fame inductees at the Allen Border Medal Night. One of those inductees was Sharon Treadray, and in doing so, increased the number of women's cricketers in the Hall of Fame to five out of the total of 54 inductees. Taking a look at our own game's Hall of Fame, out of the nearly 300 individuals inducted, how many women do you think there are? I'll give you a hint. It's a number less than one. Embarrassingly, zero. Now, for the trolls listening, it's important you engage your brain for a moment and pay attention to these important facts. First, it is not the AFL Hall of Fame. It's the Australian Football Hall of Fame. Secondly... As stated on the Hall of Fame's webpage, the Australian Football Hall of Fame seeks to recognise and enshrine players, coaches, umpires, administrators and media representatives who have made significant contributions to Australian football at any level since the game's inception in 1858. So what the Hall of Fame committee, and by extension the AFL Commission, is saying is that out of more than 160 years of Australian football, there's not one woman worthy of being acknowledged with the game's highest honour. How is the cheek of the AFL back in 2015 celebrating 100 years of women's football giving itself feel-good publicity yet not pushing for any of them to have a spot in the Australian Football Hall of Fame? Then again, should we be surprised when Hall of Fame Committee Chair Mike Fitzpatrick at the 2015 AFL Women's Exhibition Match at Docklands insulted the women's football community by saying that game was surprisingly tough? Should there be a women's quota for the Australian Football Hall of Fame? 
Vote now on our question of the week at WARFradio.com. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. Now, thanks to the Sweet Kicks Football Academy, it's time for Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. Coach Kiwi, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm very good, thank you. I'm actually sitting right outside the glorious Vic Park as we speak. Um, side by side, we do this together, right? Well, they won. They were one of your three tips that got up. Oh, dear. You gave the kiss of death to four sides. I don't think the fans of uh, Richmond, the Kangaroos, the Crows, all the Cats will appreciate it. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble because a lot of those teams are from Victoria. <laughs> Well, let's see if we can make amends, shall we, for round two of the AFL women's competition as we go through uh, round of above me game by game. Let's start, shall we? A very interesting affair. <laughs> Friday night, uh, the two original AFLW sides, if you want to call it like that, at VU Witten Oval. Conference B, the Western Bulldogs versus the Melbourne Demons. One's going to get a one-win advantage over the other after this game. Who do you see winning between the doggies and the D's. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be a cracking match. And um, Demon showed, even with all those injuries, they've still got some players on the park who can play. I'm going to go Bulldogs, though. They're at home. They're flying. Berkey's got them playing some really, really nice footy. And um, they've got the Danny Marshall effect. So um, go Bulldogs by 12. So the Bulldogs by two goals for you. I'm also going to back the Doggies at home but by five points. I think it will be a thriller. But interesting to see that move from the Dogs. Bonnie Toogood, who we normally associate with being a defender, her moving forward really rattled the Saints early on, and she's now become another weapon for them. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, she's such a handy player, and I think that's one when you do your opposition analysis that it's really hard to kind of work out how to how to um, stop her but she can play at either end and and I guess um, to the Bulldogs credit if she stopped at one end you just put it at the other end and she still becomes an asset for your team so you know handy having players like her for sure and for the Demons of course as we said their win against the Kangaroos a bit hard to read into it It a great game but with the wind it was a low scoring affair so we haven't seen um, the real forward power for Melbourne stand up you've got a feeling in this game they're going to be competitive against the doggy side that could probably rack up six or seven goals easily they need at least two or three coming out of Cheek and Cunningham yeah and you know she she made some good leads and took some good grabs in the weekend 
um, probably the wind really affected some of her shots at goal. And, um, you know, in the end, I think they had it over the kangaroos and the way they um, adapted to the wind. But I think that, you know, played a bigger factor in the in the game than, than the football, perhaps. Let's turn our attention to Saturday, 15th of February. Uh, the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos versus the GWS Giants at Utah Stadium over there in Launceston. An interesting setup. North coming off a loss. The Giants with a win in the bank in absolutely atrocious conditions. If the Giants can get a win here against North, which would be a big task, as I said at the start of the season, I think about four wins puts you in the picture of making finals. Not guaranteed, but puts you in the picture. The Giants can take this one against North. They're halfway there. Yeah, you know, I think um, the weather impacted that game last week without a doubt. And um, Gold Coast, you know, coming off, I think, three weeks of training in the rain, whereas uh, GWS had a day of driving in that kind of rain. Um, so they got the win, but I kind of get the feeling that because North lost against the Demons, they're going to come out with a bit more fight and really going to try and um, move that ball around as good as they can move it. And being at home, I think they might have the edge over the Giants. As much as I want the Giants to win, I think the Kangaroos are going to have the edge and I'll give it to them by one goal. As long as there's no wind about, they should be okay. It looks like the wind just played havoc with them down at Casey Fields. They couldn't get their proper running game going and couldn't hit their targets as much as they would have liked to, particularly when you got the run of Bruton, uh, Caitlin Ashwell, Jasmine Garner. Hasn't Jasmine Garner's football gone to another level? And we've got to remember, Jasmine Garner's just 25. Yeah, you know, she, um, she's got some ability about her and with the quality players around her too, they feed her well. So I'm expecting her to really feature on the um, goal scoring list this year. And, you know, perhaps she'll start this weekend in Launceston. And I'd like to point out impressive GWS players. You'd probably be able to do it. For me, looking back at some of the highlights, it was really hard to, simply because of the atrocious conditions them and the Suns had to play in up in Blacktown. Yeah, it was atrocious. You know, um, on the same day, they cancelled an A-League match for professional men's soccer. I think they shortened the professional men's cricket match and the uh, poor old AFLW girls had to play in those conditions. So um, good on them. There's a solid crowd of about 1,500 that um, made the trek out to Blacktown and um, sat in the conditions. There's a bit of cover in the grandstand, but not not a heck of a lot. Um, Shout out to Brandon Jack. Apparently he sat down one end behind one of the goals with a couple of mates and a couple of beers and until it rained, and then he went to the grandstand. So good to see some of the AFL boys supporting women's footy too. Um, but I think probably Privatelli was my highlight, being able to hold some of those marks and that wet condition, um, outstanding. And, you know, come dry footy, she's going to really shine for the Giants. I'm going to back the Kangaroos by 15 points. The heart says it wants GWS to win, but I think, as like you said, the Roos are going to bounce back with a vengeance. Uh, the next game on the Saturday is down there in, on the Gold Coast at Carrara. It is the Suns versus Richmond. This is a Conference A battle. Uh, again, it's, it's hard to read the form of the Suns. They only lost by a point. You don't know if... It was generally close or they could have been blown out if it was a dry weather conditions. It's, it's impossible to find a takeaway from that game at Blacktown. Richmond, however, I tell you what, some of the things that we're worried about with their VFLW form 
has come to haunt them early in the AFLW. Yeah, you know, um, I actually tend to agree that um, yeah, the areas that they were sort of caught in the VFL was definitely exposed during that game on Friday night. And um, I thought they might be able to, you know, stand up with some of the talented players they've got. But um, credit to Carlton. They just, um, you know, found the gaps and um, really exploited those kind of weaknesses. So this weekend, you know, Metricon's a big, awesome stadium to play in. Um, so it's, um, I think, a little bit special, I think, this Gold Coast team may be the first women's team in a national league from that region. So I'm hoping they're generating a lot of support up there and they get a big crowd supporting them in the weekend. Um, and with the experience, you know, they've got some good good players in the team. Um, it's a tough one. I probably may give the edge to Gold Coast by two. When you look at their side and you look at their leadership and you think of the likes of the Tiana Ernst of the world, if she can get some run going, when you think of the likes of uh, Sam Virgo in defence, you go, they've got some good leadership in that team. And you look at Richmond and you go, yes, it's a star-sided side. It hasn't quite clicked together, but technically Katie Brennan coming home. She's originally a Queenslander, so she may like the conditions up there on the Gold Coast Something in my gut says the Suns are going to win this game by about a goal. I don't, as much as I could be proved wrong, it could be a Richmond blowout victory. Something in my gut says they still haven't quite sorted it out at Richmond and the Gold Coast will do it on their home deck. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the Gold Coast have been really clever in that their squad is pretty much built up of all from that region. So they've all played either against each other or with each other in the Queensland League for a few years now. So, And then you've got the big chunk that came out from the Lions who had that experience for the last few seasons playing AFLW. I think that'll be to their advantage. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think Richmond are just going to um, struggle that little bit up there. And, um, yeah, sorry, Richmond. You're tipping by how much? Gold Coast by two. So we go to the final game on the Saturday. It is at Optus Stadium. It is the first ever West Coast derby or derby, depending on where you're from. West Coast Eagles versus the Fremantle Dockers. Both sides losing players to ACLs. Ashton Hill with the Eagles and Stephanie Kane with the Dockers. The Eagles actually got the jump on Collingwood at Victoria Park before the Pies rolled over them. Fremantle did away with Geelong, and it's up the duff. Sabrina Duffy, what a performance for her. Can she rip West Coast apart, or can the Eagles, despite travelling in their first game, find a way to cause a ball over and start stoking the fires of the rivalry? Yeah, you know, if I had to tip this before last week, I probably would have almost lent to West Coast as well. Um and they did. They came out with a fight and a fury against Collingwood down here at Big Park. And um, they, for a while, they looked like they were going to be the first uh, new team in that, to get some points on the board. But um, they kicked the goal. Dana Hooker uh, scored a ripper goal from, from a stoppage that, um, you know, it's hard to train that kind of instinct into players. And, and she did extremely well. Um, putting it through the big sticks and getting them off to a good start. But I think it comes down to some of the experience in class of Collingwood is what got them back into the game and just really shut West Coast down. 
I'm not sure Frio have quite that kind of talent throughout the field. They've got, you know, a few of them. I don't know if they've got enough. Um, but the way Frio played in the weekend, they had some really good run. You know, Roxy Roo was outstanding. Um, you know, Juddy did awesome. Kiara Bell is, well, how fantastic seeing her back playing good and healthy. And, yeah, Duffy, Duffy's going to kick goals every game, I'm certain of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. I think Frio, I know they're playing at Optus and it's West Coast home field, but Frio have been there before and um, played pretty well. So I'm going to give it to Frio by 10 points. I'm going to back you there. Fremantle to win for me by two goals. Let's go to the first of the Sunday games at GMHBA Stadium, otherwise known as Cadenia Park, Geelong. Conference A battle. Geelong versus the Brisbane Lions. The Cats coming off that loss to uh, Fremantle at Fremantle Oval. The Lions with the big boil over, but I tipped it when they beat Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. You did well. Um, you know, this is probably you know, a bit of a special game for Geelong. Playing at home, they've come off a loss that they probably thought they were going to win as well. Um, so... You know, they're going to have a big crowd out. I think they're still missing Meg Mack in the back a little bit. Um, Rocky was outstanding. That goal she scored was, was a ripper. But the other four was probably, oh, I don't think they had enough of an impact. And I think with the defence that Brisbane have, I think, again, they're going to shut down Geelong's forwards. Um, and I don't think they're going to get many goals at all. So I'm going to tip Brisbane. I thought they played really well last week. Um, they really rattled Adelaide, as good as Adelaide are. Boy, boy, you would have thought they were some different people wearing those Adelaide jumpers um, last weekend. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go the Lions by 16 points. I'm with you on that. I'm going for the Lions to win by three goals, which I think is going to shock some people. And the reason is it, it comes down to what, uh, what the Lions have been dubbing as their foundation eight. When you talk about the Zilkies and the Woochners um, that, that have played for them, the Emily Bates, etc., from the very start, the 2017 season, that strong core is still leading the way. Sprink with some good youngsters. Sprink with the likes of Orla O'Dwyer, a, a very good debut for her, the Irish woman. They just look like an exciting side. And Geelong at the moment just seemed to be, I'm not going to say stalling. It wasn't an awful performance by any means against Fremantle. But Geelong just, for my money, haven't found a way to find the next gear, despite getting back Nina Morrison. Yeah, you know, I actually tend to agree. And um, that that goal that Orla got, geez, wasn't it a ripper, kind of kind of round-the-body Irish style completely. Um, but, yeah, I just think Geelong just, um, cause, I don't know, something about the way they play, they, tend, they have this trouble of um, actually converting. They get the ball to the 50, the forward 50, but they just don't get the goals, uh, and they've got some good forwards, and you know, with you know, the likes of Phoebe and that up there. So, yeah, I just think that's where they're going to get 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 done a little bit. So, yeah, that's where I'm going to line. Sunday, sixteenth of February, three ten p.m. Princess Park, Carlton. The Conference B battle between Carlton and Collingwood, both coming off a win. Yeah, I think the traditionists will be calling this the match of the round. Um, that may upset some of the Bulldogs, Demons fans, because that's also going to be a ripper match. Um, but Icon Park has now become the home of women's football. So um, expect a big crowd and a nice uh, sunny Sunday. I'm sure Melbourne will put on for everybody. Um, and, you know, 
some good rivalry there. This um, it's looking like the return of Bree Davies at Icon. She's um, still still um, in contention to be selected this weekend. Seems like uh, her injury wasn't as serious as first thought. So um, a little, I don't know if you can call it a little bit of a homecoming, but um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Blues fans um, looking to um, see how she performs in the black and white, but hoping she doesn't get as many touches as previous seasons, perhaps. Um, I think this is going to be a really tight, tight match. And if you look at the key players last week that, you know, Chris Barkis and Taylor Harris and even Darcy got involved, Katie Loins, like some outstanding um you know, key players that really stood up and really got Carlton uh, moving the ball around well and, and I think lifted the rest of the team as well. And that's where you brought in the youngsters like, you know, Lucy McAvoy and, um, you know, just really stood and had that time to run and play. Uh, Alison Downey's one-handed mark, you know, I have to have to mention that one. That was a ripper. Um, but, you know, Collingwood, I'd be here all night if I mentioned all the stars that stood up in the weekend and, you know, I will mention Shani Layton's goal because I'm sure she's still celebrating that one. But, um, yeah, I just think the star power Collingwood have got, there's just some, you know, they're just oozing ability around the park. But not just that, I think they're playing a really good quality football that is tapping into that talent. And, um, you know, and they're just starting to link up really well. And when you've got, you know, your likes of um, Steph Jocci running across, sweeping as a defensive kind of winger and then feeding the ball and see Chloe or Bree and who can then move it on to Yashani's up forward or um, Geordie Allen or even, you know, Jamie Lambert, you're going to get a lot of goals. And um, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a tight affair, but I think Collingwood have got the star power and they're going to come away three goals ahead of Carlton. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to go Carlton to win by 24 points. I think it'll be a big win for them. As much as I don't rate Carlton, as in the aspect of being a premiership threat, I do believe they have the wood on Collingwood at Princess Park. Of course, they won in uh, in season one and in season two. It's a bit of a hoodoo about that ground. And the issue for me for Collingwood is, as I look back at last week, slow start out of the blocks against a new side. If they do the same thing again on Sunday with a slow start against Carlton, Carlton had that quick start against Richmond. And then Carlton, under the coaching of Daniel Harford, is either using a plus one or plus two in defence. They're, they're building the wall. That's what killed Richmond. Richmond only had 11 inside 50s. And I think, and I think they will get a fast start on Collingwood, and then they'll just build the wall. They'll sit on that. And I don't think Collingwood will be able to come back against a more experienced side that Carlton is compared to the Eagles. Ooh, interesting take. Because, you know, um, Collingwood also do the plus one in the back line. So this will be very interesting to um, see who best hits up the three players at the field. Um, but the last time a chunk of this Collingwood team played at Icon was very victorious. Let's the keep, BFL Grand Final. Let's keep that in mind. No, it's slightly not- different. And a different changing room they'll use this time. But um, hopefully that hoodoo that's um, been around them, hopefully some of that may be a little bit blurry now that they've um, had a pretty good result down there. And to our final match of the round on the Sunday, the Twilight game, it is 
at uh, what they call uh, Richmond Oval, uh, West Adelaide's home ground for the Sandful uh, followers. It's the Adelaide Crows versus the Saints. It is a Conference A versus Conference B team battle. Um, is it essentially the battle of Anne Hatchard versus Georgia Patrikios? <laughs> yeah, like um, it's going to be a little bit experience over the youngins, isn't it? And, um, you know, and Hatchard versus Patrikios, exactly that as well. Um, yeah, you know, both of them are going to lift a little. I think you're going to see a slightly different style of play this weekend because both teams need to get a win on the board to stay in contention. There's just not room. I don't feel to lose two in a row and stay in contention for the end of the season. So, um, without a doubt, they'll both be going back to the drawing board. I think um, St Kilda also have lost one to an ACL as well, who um, uh, Von Bertic, Bert? Nadia Von Bertic, yep, yep, yeah, who who did finish the game after she got injured, um, but yeah, is uh, won't be playing for the rest of the season, sadly. But um, I think Adelaide at home, I don't think you're going to see two weeks in a row where Adelaide are really knocked about and sort of, um, I don't know, they just looked like they were jittery last week. They just, their efficiency was low. Their decision-making, I thought, was um, quite poor in some areas. And they've got some really good players who just perhaps didn't quite stand up or didn't realise the season had started or something. And I reckon this weekend at home, we won't see that from Adelaide. I think we'll see what we're used to seeing from Adelaide, a bit more organisation, you know, the key players standing up, Marinos racking up heats of tackles, um, you know, and Hatchard's still getting lots of possessions. It's just the way she's playing. She's on fire at the moment. So I'm going to give this game to Adelaide. I actually reckon they're going to beat St Kilda by about five goals. I sniff upset in the wind. I sniff the Saints Ooh. winning by a point in a low-scoring thriller. Ooh. Wow, we've got a bit of a difference with the last couple of games here, don't we? So, so yes, either you're going to make a comeback uh, in the Kiss of Death tips, <laughs> or we could be off to a very slippery slope to begin season 2020. Coach Kiwi of the Sweet Kicks Football Academy, thanks again for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. And, of course, where can people find The Coat Hanger, which is the footy show you're on in Sydney? Yes, uh, the podcast is due out tomorrow. I uh, missed the live show tonight just due to commitment down here at Big Park, but I'm sure the girls held the fort uh, well, and I will tune in tomorrow. So it should be tomorrow afternoon. The Code Hanger will be on Wooshka or iTunes or um, wherever good podcasts are found. Um, and I think we filed just above Walk Radio now because it's starting with T for the Code Hanger, <laughs> alphabetically. I'm going to have to start throwing an A in front of our podcast just to get us in the order. Coach Kiwi, thanks for joining us. Look forward to your company next week. Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure and go footy. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this podcast is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and the iHeartRadio website and app. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Search for WARF Radio or find our website WARFradio.com where there you can also vote on our question of the week and take a look at the VFLW fixture for 2020. Until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company.
Let's bye for now.